Good morning. <laughs> um, somebody said to me, they were going out and then came back in and said, don't worry, you can, check, you can keep my name on the list, <clears throat> on the attendance list. It's a joke, I'm, but good morning. <clears throat> uh, speaker today is uh, Dr. Dwight Robertson. He and his wife, uh, wife, his daughter, Dara, are here. Would you welcome them? <clears throat> Uh, Dwight is the founder and a current CEO of Kingdom Building Ministries. He's a longtime friend of Jay Ott. So when Jay shows up, you can ask him all of the, all of the nitty-gritty about Dwight and then ask Dwight all the nitty-gritty about Jay. Right? Is it a fair deal? Fair deal. Um, his ministry is located in Aurora, Colorado, so he's spent the morning making his way here. So we're just, we're just glad we're here. It's been a couple of years, actually, that we've been trying to make this happen. And, uh, and so it was able to come together. You doing all right? Okay, just making sure. Making sure. Okay, I want us to begin with the prayer that, uh, that, we, have, that we begin all our chapel services with. It's just, just this short prayer. Hear my Lord, purify me. So say that with me. Hear my Lord, purify me. Say it one more time. Hear my Lord, purify me. Now, let's pray it one more time. Hear my Lord, purify me. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Stay with me. I want, to sing. I want us to sing an old hymn that sounds just a little different. It's okay to stand. Two, three, four. You have heard our praises, and we're glad to give them. You have heard our worship, and it's our privilege to offer it to you. Thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name. Thank you for this opportunity for us to celebrate your lordship, to recognize you as king, and all that that means. We thank you for our brother in Christ, Dwight, and for his willingness to serve you, the testimony of his life, and for his willingness to, to minister your word, your truth to us this morning. We pray, help us hear, help us respond, help us live in response to all of it. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Wow, uh, it just occurred to me that the best worshipers in all the world should be the people who know God's word the best. What a great gift God has given. A way to know him, 
intimately, deeply, passionately. See, I've come to know my wife uh, better and better each year. I tell my kids, my, you know, is, isn't it a cool thing? My 17-year-old daughter is with me this morning. We love each other. Uh, my 13-year-old son and I, I just, just uh, we love family life. I was telling them this week how wonderful their mother is. And I know they don't hardly know yet because I've watched her through the years. I know so much more about her than they do yet. I know the sacrifices that she's made. I know the depth of her love for them. Isn't it true, those of us who know the word, we just know so much more about him. And we become worshipers in the process because we're just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Aren't you overwhelmed? at his love and his grace, his mercy, his kindness. And that we get to be not only co-heirs, but co-laborers in Christ. We're going to talk about a very unpopular word. Uh, a word that years ago, a, a marketing company came from Southern California to Denver, Colorado, where, where we're headquartered as a, a ministry organization. We, we send out itinerant preachers. Now, that, now, that's kind of an odd thing, isn't it? They, Dennis Kinlaw, uh, a... Uh, one of the uh, translators for the New International Version came up to me shortly after we'd started, and he said, Dwight, I'm so excited about what you're doing with Kingdom Building Ministries. He said, I know you started in 1986. He said, it's 1989, and he said, I've been following you guys for the first three years out of the gate because he said, I'm pretty convinced that the world has forgotten that itinerant preacher he was. Jesus traveled place to place to place proclaiming kingdom truths. He validated that style of ministry as he went place to place to place outside the walls of the synagogue proclaiming the kingdom truths people needed to hear in all kinds of venues. And he said, then you, you look at the Apostle Paul itinerating place to place to place. And he said, I've studied Christian history enough to know that he said, it's a travesty, and he said, I've actually given the remainder of my life to the reestablishment of the call, the gift, the grace of itinerant ministry, because I'm pretty convinced in the last century it's gotten debunked. But if you're a student of Christian history, you know that when course corrections were on God's heart, when there were things he wanted to do, I mean, study the Wesley uh, Foundation, the movement, and all the kinds of things that God was birthing through itinerant preachers. He started something called the Francis Asbury Society. We, we just are sending itinerant preachers literally around the world, and by God's grace, we see over 60,000 spiritual decisions made annually for Christ. So we started developing training programs and, and print and audio resources, all committed to the same thing you're committed to. We believe that every Christian, it's God's purpose that every Christian would be a heart on fire and a life on purpose. Now, we're going to talk about that unpopular word. The word this Madison Avenue uh, company uh, from Southern California who thought they had a few things to share with us. They, they first told us they thought it was an odd old thing that we were doing. You know, why wouldn't you want to do something entrepreneurially new? You know, this itinerant thing. They had to look it up. They didn't know what one was. And they looked it up and found out it was something old. Not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think some of the best future for the planet would be ancient future. You've heard that term before, I'm sure. I remember when Billy Graham uh, traveled to, I, I, I remember it well because photojournalists followed him when he went during the height of the Cold War, during the Brezhnev era, uh, when those folks were our enemies, weren't they? But he went over and he and Ruth l loved them. 
almost like love was the single agenda. You know, you'd see these photojournalists sending pictures back, and here they were with their arms around these people, and seated at meal tables with them, and in casual posture of, of, of community and love and acceptance. And, and, and we were a bit baffled here in the West. I mean, my kids laugh when they see an old video or movie that, that shows these Russians as such evil enemies of, of our nation because things have changed. But you remember, some of us are old enough to remember, we were confused by all of this. Slightly, you know, we'd been taught to think a certain way. Those are those people. And all of a sudden, the lines were blurred. Love seemed to be the singular agenda. But when Billy Graham came back, Dr. Graham was taken to task by a, a group of reporters, and one of them, a religious reporter, stood up and said, Dr. Graham, you should have spoken out against the lack of religious freedom and the atrocities that are happening there socially. I mean, what were you thinking? You know you've put the church back at least 50 years by what you just did. Dr. Graham looked down humbly and then he looked back at them and said, "Then I'm truly sorry. It was never my intention to put the church back 50 years. It's always been my intention to put the church back 2,000 years. So when they came to explore from a marketing standpoint this ministry called Kingdom, you know, it's all about the king and his kingdom. It's not about us. It's not about our corner of it. It's all about him and his kingdom. And, and it's about active discipleship, not just with our brains, but our whole lives. We're building. We're, we're living stones. We're built on a chief cornerstone. And, and he has things for us to do. Love in action. Faith in action. We're building. And ministries, meant it's as distinct and unique as we are as people. Well, they didn't have trouble with that. They had trouble with a different word. They told us we'd never get very far with this word that we seem committed to own. They said it's not a posh word. It's not a feel-good word. It's not an up word. Is anyone ever going to want to be a... They could hardly say the word. And I said, well then, you know, we've got a problem because we didn't create this word. We actually didn't even say that this would be the answer to the world's great harvest need. The one who started this whole thing, who we fix our eyes on to, to find ancient, to push rewind and bring 2,000 years ago his plan to our century, our times, our day. We think the best future in the world is the one he started. We want to go all the way past letter J and G and B and all the different ideas that have come through the centuries. We want to push rewind and go all the way back. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus and say, what were you instituting and why this word that you introduced to us and more than introduced to us, you modeled for us. What was it that he was, you know, if I were going to set my son up for success in the world, I think I'd want to give him a platform, a, a notable platform. But, but he's not born into a political leader's home. He's not born into a religious leader's home. 
What is this that he's born into the home of ordinary people? His dad's what? His dad is a builder. I mean, by common terms, we'd call him a construction worker. He's a builder. Some people say a carpenter, but I've been in Jerusalem, and I've, I've studied at the institute there, and they say, look around and show us all the wood we have here. You know, there's a lot of stones here. A lot of things are built by stone. We, we think that, you know, he was building that way. Well, however he was building, Jesus was born into a construction-oriented family. We'd call those ordinary folk. He was born into an ordinary place, so ordinary you know, first the place he's born. You know, I mean, let's talk about that. Name, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to name the smallest town you've ever heard of in your entire life. You know, the, the one where there's two houses there, but there is, a, there is a town sign, and you know of that town. You almost, some of you are starting to smile and snicker. Is it, count to three, and I want to hear that town that you know of that's so tiny. Okay, one, two, three. Sandy Lake. Yeah, yeah, and some of you are smiling and almost laughing as you're saying it's hard to take it serious. So imagine when the place of his birth isn't Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And, and, and as if God doesn't understand how to set him up for success because he's going to model something for us, he's raised in another small town. And, and people started saying, can anything good come from, are you with me, from Nazareth? What was that? It seems he comes out of obscurity. Is it possible that, like a, an acorn this fall, if you were to travel to certain parts of our country, you'd, you'd find acorns on the ground under big oak trees, and you'd discover there's a lot of power in that small thing that planted just rightly. It, it can grow to over 100 feet tall, live over 1,000 years, give birth to to thousands of, of other trees. It's, it's an amazing thing that you can hold between your thumb and your forefinger. Seems so small. From Bethlehem, Nazareth, an ordinary family. He steps on the scene and, and then it seems he begins to collect other ordinary people. I called my father last night, 39 years in pastoral ministry. He was Dr. J. Ott's pastor. I said, Dad, tell me what some of your most meaningful pastorates were. He didn't have all that many. He was kind of a stay in one place for a, a duration of time, the way some of you have here. And, but, but he started talking with me, and, and we reminisced to, to one place in particular where people looked at it as a small, insignificant place he'd landed. A, a, a place called Loyal Oak, Ohio. And, and that in Loyal Oak, Ohio, they didn't even have enough money to build the top of the church. They met in the basement until they could raise enough money to build the top. There were only 35 to 45 people who worshipped there. People thought it was a small thing that he and Agnes were doing. We've always as a family believed in the value of one. That each one matters. That's why when Jesus stepped on the scene and it looked small, like, will this ever become what you're talking about? You and I have to understand how God works. Dad and I were reminiscing last night that out of that small basement church came the, the president of Indiana Wesleyan University, the CFO comptroller of Houghton College, 
that out of that small basement church came a missionary well-known overseas and, and another pastor's wife, that out of that came the founder of Brotherhood Mutual Insurance, that out of that small basement church came several other pastors and the founder of the Barberton Rescue Mission. What in the world? Because God can do a lot with a handful. And Jesus began to collect a handful. He must have smiled that day when the fishes and loaves were being multitude and everybody was blown away at how far those fishes and loaves could go. I'm reintroducing you to the plan. We're pushing rewind all the way past all the other letters back to plan A. And there is no, with him, plan B. The plan he began to model, it's, it's sort of like my nephew who wanted a G.I. Joe Tiger Force helicopter for Christmas. And, and, and I didn't know what one was, and when I gave it to him and he opened up, it was a box full of pieces. I didn't know it didn't come pre-assembled. You had to put it together. And as I began to try to read the, you know, I unfolded the instruction sheet. Some of the dads in the room know you. It doesn't look intimidating at first, but you continue to unfold this sheet. It's teeny tiny little print, and you start reading instruction number one, and you know it's an all-day project. Uh, I'm reading instruction one and two, and I'm here in two little hands putting things together. I look down, I think he might be doing it wrong, but it's, it's correct. So I figured out he's on step seven, I'll read step eight and nine, but as I read eight and nine, I, he's figuring out how to put 10, 11, and 12 together. I'm baffled, I, I set the sheet down and I said to my sister, I think you might have a genius. She smiled at me. This sort of sheepish grin came over her face like they knew something I didn't know, but I thought, well, I'll cut him off at the pass. I'll start reading in the 20s, and I'll be ahead of him. But, but as I finished reading in the 20s, I looked down, and he's in the 30s, and, and his hands are, are putting this thing together so quickly, I couldn't understand how he was getting it so fast until they all said, hey, Dwight, turn the sheet around. And when I did, you all are too smart. You know what's on the other side of the sheet. There's a picture with arrows and parts pointing to how it all went together. Then I understood John 1.14. The Word became flesh. And He dwelt among us to, to help us get it faster. Ordinary people get it faster, not be intimidated. Well, it was his place of birth, or it was the family he was born into, or, you know, it was this, that, or the other thing. The guys he began to collect were also ordinary people. And then if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew. If you've got a Bible, you've got, if you have one with you. Where am I this morning? I'm at a Bible college, of course. You may have left it back in your classroom, in your office, but, but you know that in Matthew 9, he, he starts just collecting these guys. They start traveling with him, and they start learning from him. I think the word in flesh dwelling among us, the, the first thing I begin to, to notice about him, that they begin to notice, is his commitment to show them a method and a way that's in real life, real time, 24-7. In fact, what he wants them to know as he begins to model the plan is that his plan A is not an up-front plan, it's an up-close plan. He's Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means God what? God with us. Not God up front, God up close. He'd talk about the kingdom, and he'd say the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near you. 
It's face to face. It's eyeball to eyeball. It's, it's the kingdom of God is with you. And he, he traveled with them. Not teaching them a main stage plan, teaching them a main stream plan. Along the way plan. Showing them that outside the walls the kingdom could come. And the will of God could be done. And he showed them all kinds of places with all kinds of people showing them. Remember my dad telling me one of the best things he ever learned about how to train kingdom laborers in his congregation was that, that God had him working his way through college. He worked in factories through college. He worked in retail through college. He worked in sales through college. He said, I had to learn how the kingdom functioned and worked outside of the walls of the church so that when I faced my congregation of ministers who are going to be out there doing the ministry according to Ephesians 4, that I'm an equipper of the saints to do the work of ministry that was out there, I would better understand how to be training and equipping them to do that very thing. So we took them outside the walls and he introduced them, the Word in flesh, to an up-close plan. Sitting at meal tables with people. Sitting at, it wasn't Starbucks or, or Peaberries or, or, or Seattle coffee, you know, it, it was, or what's your favorite coffee shop? You know, if I'm in Canada, it's, it's Tim Hortons, you know. Uh, maybe you don't know about that, you know, if I'm in Canada, yeah, I don't even mention another coffee spot. So it's not a coffee spot he's seated at. He's, he's actually seated at a, at a non-bottled spring water beverage stop with a woman who nobody's taken the time to be up close with. When she came to that beverage spot, everybody else jetted the other direction, but he was teaching them an up-close plan. Not main stage, because she would never have come to hear him main stage. He was teaching his laborers a main stream plan. One life at a time, he taught them. A one life at a time plan. My grandmother who would inherit, can you, can, you probably can't tell, I'm the kind of kid that every parent hopes and prays they will never get. The kind you've seen in a restaurant or you've seen in church and you'd go, oh Lord, don't ever give me one of those. I had more energy than I knew what to do with, you know, and I was usually doing all the wrong things. So when my grandmother Robertson would inherit me, she always had a plan. And her, her plan usually involved a tin of dominoes up in her front room closet. She'd pull that tin and dump it over on the table and say, now grandson, let's start. So, so we begin lining those dominoes up. One by, I don't even know how you play the real game. I just know that, you, have you ever, have you lined up dominoes before? You know, line them up and we'd make formations and finally, it, you know, she had hundreds of dominoes. She could slip off into the kitchen, begin baking cookies. Now I'm focused. All that energy is focused. I'm on a mission. I'm, I, I, I want to I put the last one in place. I want to use them all. But before she'd let me do what I'd waited to do, she'd slow me down. She'd say, uh, grandson, now before you touch that one, I want you to pretend you're so small that you, you can only see one. This is before the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. She said, pretend you're so small, you, you don't see anything but the one in front of you. That's usually the way life is. That's what Jesus was doing. He was touching the life of one outside the walls at a beverage stop. 
Now, he full well knew there were more dominoes who would be affected. But she said, when you impact that one just right, no, you don't have to worry about number 13 and 27 and 54 and the 119th and, and on and on it goes. You just impact the one in front of you. He taught them that plan. He lived that plan. He modeled that plan. They were a part of that plan. When I was teaching pastors and leaders in, in India, in, in several uh, large cities in India, uh, one of the guys traveling with me said to one of these Indians who'd come from a very remote place, uh, Karla, uh, to the city that we were at, and he said, so how did you find out about Jesus? And he said, oh, from Thomas. And he said, Thomas who? As if Thomas would have a last name. He said, Thomas, Thomas. My friend said, you, you mean the Thomas? He said, yes. See, it was a domino, ripple effect. And in his mind, it had begun with one who had come to India, to their state, Kerala, and the gospel had just continued to domino from there. You focus on the one life in front of you today. That was a plan. But then if you're in Matthew 9, he starts modeling. Models in his own hometown, verse 1. He shows them you start where you are. You don't look for a better place to land. You start where you are. So verse 1 says he's, he crossed over and came to his own hometown. And then you see him focusing on one life. But he focuses on one, and God is always about the exponential impact, the, the compounding interest. So you get to verse 8. Jesus is focused on one, but God takes care of the domino ripple effect. Something I cover in plan A, Focus on the one in front of you and watch history prove from the pages of Scripture. Verse 8, the crowd saw this, and they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. But then the writer wants you to know that it wasn't just the one in his hometown, but as he was on his way, for us today it would be like going from Home Depot to Walmart. A lot of passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see a kingdom event but it will be prefaced with, as Jesus went on from there. Or as he was going on. It's, I call it along the way ministry. Wasn't prescribed. It wasn't at a certain time or a certain place. He was modeling for them. It will happen along the way. We teach people. It, it doesn't happen when you planned it. It happens along the way. So, so Matthew wants you to know that's exactly the way it happened for him. You get to, to verse 9, and it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw. Put, put your hands in front of your eyes as though they're blinders with me for a moment. Just put them up here. This is the way too many Christians walk around the planet, but this is not the way Jesus modeled 2,000 years ago. Pull them away. It's a small phrase, but it says, he saw. You think that's not a big deal? Ask my son. Goes to a new school. I say to him at dinner time, Hey, son, how is it going at your new school? He said, Dad... I'm invisible. I said, no, son, you're not invisible. Look at me. I see you. He said, Dad, I go outside for a morning recess. They all run straight past me. They're looking for other people that they already know. They run past me, Dad. They don't see me. And when I, when I go in the cafeteria and I get my tray, Dad, and, and I go sit down, they walk straight past me toward other people. Dad, they don't see me. And, and after school, Dad, when I'm waiting for Mom because she's picking up Dare and it's 13 minutes between our schools, Dad, 13 minutes I stand there and nobody sees me, Dad. I'm invisible. 
Do you know how many people feel that way every day? No one sees them. They checked you out at Walmart last night. They stopped by your house to try to sell you something or, or talk to you about politics and their candidate. Did you see them? In Africa, there's a phrase that one particular tribe uses. As one is walking down the road, they'll say, I, I see you, and the other will say, I am here. The gift of presence. Jesus modeled his plan A for these guys again and again. You see them. So when a restaurant server on the west side of Denver walked up to our table, and that wasn't a normal restaurant for us, uh, it, it had taken him a while to get there. He was perspiring because he was working a little bit the way I do when I work. I tend to perspire. I'm starting to do that now. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and so he's perspiring. And I, I looked up at him and I said, John, are you okay? He said, whoa, dude, do I know you? And I said, well, well I, I, don't, I don't think we know each other, but John, you're working really hard. Our family's been watching you running around caring for tables. Are you okay, John? He said, dude, like... If you don't know me, and I'm like, I don't know you. How, dude, how do you know my name? Because that's my name. My name is actually John. How do you know my name? He was like freaked out. And I said, well, John, you're actually, come here. You're wearing it right there. And he looked down, and he was a little embarrassed. And why had he forgotten he was wearing his name? Because no one sees him. They call their order over their shoulder. They don't even look at him. How many people every day need the body of Christ to, to, to see them and to stop with them? That was the second thing. Come on, do, do, do the second action. It's not just see, but it's stop. Can you do two things together? I know it's complicated, but let's try it. We, we, we see and we stop. If we're Jesus followers, we see and stop. Yeah, let's say it and do it simultaneously. That's, that's really out there, but I think we can. Let's try it. We see and we stop. And you'd go, well, Dwight, you're going to mess with my life because I, like, I keep a tight schedule. I do too. Tell me he didn't have a lot to do. I tire when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and wonder how he fit it all in. And, and yet he continued to model, see, and stop along the way. I'm driving to the west side of Denver from the east side where we're located. And, 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 and if you, I'm sure you haven't prayed for a traffic light to stay green or turn green. And, and you, oh, some of you are nodding like maybe you have. I'm looking up and I could really appreciate it if that light could just stay green and it turned red. I am now in a stopped position against my will, actually. I mean, I didn't purpose to stop. I didn't want to stop. But as I stopped, I looked at the street sign to kind of mark my bearings. And as I did, that's when I saw the secondary sign underneath. He was holding it. It was a cardboard sign. Dad, three kids, out of work, desperately needing work or food. Can you help? He saw me see him, and I am stopped at a traffic light. Now you're thinking, now there's not a lot of opportunity here. And, and I'm kind of thinking that too, but I'm scrambling because he looks like me. We, we look like each other. He doesn't 
look like an ordinary person. I mean, I, I don't quite get what I'm seeing. It was a, it was a strange moment, and I, I couldn't think what to do, and I reached for my wallet, and he saw me reaching, and I pulled it out. My kids had cleaned me out the night before. I have two teenagers, so there was none, nothing there, and I'm scrambling around in my car, and he sees that going on, and there's nothing in my car. By this time, he's at my car because he, he sees intention going on in the car. And then I roll the window down, and that's when I said to him, I am so sorry. I think you saw me. I, I, I plan to give you what I don't have. And I remembered these guys who fixed their eyes on Jesus, who saw him see and stop. And when they took a little time with him in the book of Acts, they remembered what he'd modeled, what laborship looks like. And, and, and so I said to him, I, I don't have, I didn't say silver or gold, silver and gold I have I none. But I looked at him and said, I don't have any money. But, I don't know if this will mean anything to you or not, but I, what's your name? He looked at me like, what do you want to know my name for? I said, what's your name? He said, Delaje. I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, Delaje. I said, did, did you say, De, De, what? Delaje? Is that what you said? That's when his eyes opened twice their normal width. He said, you, you really want to know my name. It's Delaje. I said, because Delaje, I'd like to pray for you. And I'm, I'm looking at the traffic light. This is all going on with cars behind me. And the traffic light is the longest red light I've ever been at. I'm stopped. I'm seeing him. And I said, Delaje, I, I don't have any money, but I'm going to pray for you. That's when he started to cry at my window and said, Sir, my family and I need that most. And as he's backing away, as the light is turning green, I'm yelling out my still open car window, Delaje, I'm praying for you now. And I'll continue at 7 o'clock that night, the next day, the next day, the next day, for weeks on end, praying for Delaje. I don't see him on that street corner anymore. I don't know the rest of the story. I don't have to know the rest of the story. On that particular day, he needed seen and stopped with, spend a little time with it was what Jesus was modeling. Matthew had the same experience. He said, he saw a man. He stopped long enough to get his name. His name was Matthew. He goes on to tell you that eventually he spent a little time at his table. How many of you like to eat? You like to eat? I'll put both hands up. I like to eat. You've got great ministry potential, by the way. Because one of the things I teach in the book Plan A is meal table ministry was one of the things Jesus did a lot, not just over non-bottled spring water. So Matthew wants you to know he showed up at his house. And he sat at his table didn't make him come to the synagogue to hear him speak. He showed up at Matthew's house and sat at his table. And everything changed that night. For Matthew, who used to be an accountant of numbers, he'd eventually be an accountant of stories. His life would be forever changed by the one who, who began to show him how to see and stop and spend a little time with. With a heart so full and too little time to tell everything that's in the book. Let me lead you finally to the word that Jesus used to describe this planning movement he'd begun. A, a word that we describe as, as the word laborership. Now, I, I know that's kind of a relatively odd word. Jesus said the harvest is ripe, but the... Did you ever notice he didn't say the harvest is ripe, but the Christian celebrities are few? <laughs> he didn't even say the harvest is ripe, but the leaders are few. Why? Because if you do a spiritual gifts analysis of any 
basement church, any group of Christians, you'll find only 8% have the gift of spiritual leadership. 92% have other gifts. No wonder we've been using that 8% word. We've been using that semantical word for decades now. And there's 92% that don't relate to that word because there's a, there's a macro word that that micro word fits under. And the macro word is what Jesus said. The harvest is ripe and the what are few? The laborers. You'd say, what's a labor? What's a labor? Jesus said, somebody who's doing the two most important things. Raise your right hand in the air. Raise your right hand in the air. Could you get it higher? Could you get your hand a little higher than that? How creative are you? Could you get your hand higher than that? Oh, Dr. Lightkin, yeah, could, could you get your hand higher than that? Okay, somebody's starting to, okay, you're almost to get on your chair. That's exactly what he said that day. He said, could you love him a little bit more? Could you love, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, could, could you love him a little bit more? Because hear me, the greatest gift we will ever give this world is our intimacy with God. It's not just the greatest gift you give your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. It is the greatest gift you give your neighbor and the person you just saw for the first time and are stopped with. Because then, see, what's, what's true of the early disciples is to be true of us. They said after this incident where they saw stopped and quite a ruckus and, and a, 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 you know, a ripple effect, a domino effect had, had transpired, you know, these two ordinary laborers had just, all they'd done was see, stop, and, and spend a little time with in the name of Jesus... And finally they said, wait, they're unschooled, ordinary people, but they've been with, come on, Jesus. The greatest gift you will give this world is your intimacy with him. Not your intimacy with information or knowledge, your intimacy with him. Because the world doesn't need us, they need him. But the more we've been with him, the more he shows up in the everyday scenes where we show up. The world needs him. Can you reach a little harder, a little farther? Because the greatest gift you will give your students, the greatest gift you will give future people you'll minister to is your intimacy with God. That's what they need. They need more of Him flowing through you. And see, the other part of the laborship L is not only loving Him, but then you turn that other hand out to make the L. And you love your neighbor with as much love and care as you give to yourself. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who's your neighbor? Well, Jesus kind of blurred the lines. The way Billy Graham blurred the lines all those years ago when, when he understood what, he, he looked at the model, the word in flesh, and he said, wait, there are no boundaries. It's whoever I'm nearest in the moment is my neighbor. If they're in the line at Walmart with me, they're my neighbor. Not just my geographical, we share common addresses on the same street neighbor. Jesus, as he traveled, itinerated place to place to place, said everywhere you go, you, don't you know, you're the, you're the dwelling place of God's Spirit. He's housed in you. So as this is going on and this is going on, you bring him up close. You are the ecclesia. You are the church dispersed outside the walls, up close in the mainstreams. And when you gather, pastors, teachers, evangelists, they will equip you to do the plan A work of the ministry. And you will lead congregations of ministers who understand God's plan A agenda for them. That the word that they tried to tell me to get rid of in our ministry, you've got to ditch the word labor because it's not a Madison Avenue feel-good posh word. We said, wait a minute, that's a good word to swallow. Because that's the kind of word that will cause you to wash feet if that's what it takes. Or hold children if that's what it takes. 
or to die death to your convenience and comfort if that's what it takes. I'll look at crowds of students and say, and if I look miserable to you, we haven't had enough time together. Because welcome to the joy of laborship. Kingdom laborship is fixing your eyes on Jesus, learning his plan A, and transferring a clear understanding of that plan to every person your life gets up close to. That we are his plan. That there is no plan B. If you're waiting to be perfect, when's that day going to come? I've had to tell congregations of people and teenagers, if you're waiting to be perfect, the only time you're going to be perfect is when you see him face to face in all his glory and you're changed into his likeness. But at that point, you're of no more earthly value or earthly good. So get over yourself. Your perfection is the shed blood of Christ. Your perfection is the work that he is continually doing in your heart, transforming you from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory, transforming you by the renewing of your mind. He is in this process, but if you're thinking you can't step out and be God's plan A because you're not perfect, you're saying I'm not worthy, well, hey, welcome to the unworthy club. We don't do any of this because we're worthy, do we? Come on. We do it because he's worthy. He said, well, I, I don't know what I would say. How many of you God has ever shown up in your life before? Raise your hand if he's ever shown up for you. How many of you he's shown up more than once for you? I mean, you had a bill you didn't know how to pay. You had a sickness. You, you had a child you were concerned about. He how many of you are a two-hand person? I'm a two-hand person. I don't have enough hands. He's shown up for you. Look around. Wait, leave your hands up. Has he shown up for you? Oh, you're just one hand. He's shown up once for you. I'm glad he's shown up once for you. Uh, leave your hands up. Look around the room. These are our God stories. And it was reading those kinds of stories in here that gave you courage to believe that if he did that for her and he did that for him, maybe he would do this for you. But there is a world out there that they aren't ready yet to read these stories. But, but for them, they don't want to know that he once showed up. They want to know that he still shows up. And so as we go out and tell our God's stories, as simple as they may be, courage rises in their hearts to say, he still shows up. How would I, why would I not love him and love those nearest me and live a heart on fire and a life on purpose? We're out of time. You can tell I'm not out of heart. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Somewhere along the line, I'm pretty convinced, and we, we minister in over a hundred different denominations in so many different settings you wouldn't believe. I'm pretty convinced that somewhere along the line, we stopped valuing the ministry potential of ordinary people in ordinary places the way Jesus did. Not one of those he collected were anything other than the kind of people who are being too quickly dismissed today. Somehow we placed higher value on ministry done in religious places by well-known, highly gifted people who may not be the kinds of people Jesus was choosing. Or will we equip for ministry? Will we understand he is an equal opportunity employer? And will we help every student we get a chance to come alongside? equip kingdom 
labors, to understand and know what laborship looks like, will we push rewind and take them back to Jesus' original plan? Will we help them understand what it looks like outside the walls, up close, in the mainstreams of life, so when we gather, they are so ready for encouragement and equipping for another week of that? Because they are out there in the harvest fields that Jesus said didn't need more Christian celebrities. The harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. Will we equip people who will train up and send out weekly kingdom laborers? Jesus' plan A, the kind of people he selected and chose who, who weren't perfect. They had to get over themselves to get into their book of Acts. They didn't perform perfectly. They denied. They knew him. They needed restored. They needed in John 21 to be brought back. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because your love for me will get you there. Can you love him a little more? Lord, the L for laborship takes us to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. That we would be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And live a life of love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It is our passionate desire to be kingdom labors and to raise kingdom labors to the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. First, thank you for your good word. Go in the peace. We're dismissed. Two, three, two.